0: If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of honors me with their lips but their heart is far Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church, everybody. And thank you all for joining in to us here today in our wonderful home in McKinney, Texas, a small little house church. And I want to welcome everybody from SoundCloud and welcome everybody from YouTube, anybody that's tuning in this week as well, too. God bless you. And it's a pleasure to know that you're out there listening and and, uh, getting built up and challenged in the Lord Jesus Christ weekly. And uh, I praise God for you and I'm thankful uh, for all of the support that God has brought me for starting Gospel Saving Church, a brand new church. So if we want you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, we're going to pray and then um, start our message. So, Lord, uh, thank you <clears throat> so much, Lord God, for your love for us, Lord, and thank you for your sacrifice, Lord God, that we saw today, Lord, as we watched that video, Lord, about you, and as we took communion, Lord, and remembered the body, and remembered the blood, Lord God. For you said, do this often in remembrance of me, Lord. And thank you that, Lord, we're uh, we're, we're being on a regular now. We're, we're, we're remembering the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us, Lord. And We just thank you, Lord God, for that sacrifice that you that you did for us, Lord. Without that sacrifice, Lord, we would have all been condemned to hell. None of us would have had any hope. And so, Lord, I'm just so thankful, Lord God, that we can approach you now that the veil is down, Lord God, the veil is torn in two, Lord, and we enter into the Holy of Holies, Lord Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, Lord God, that was shed and that was slain for from the foundations of the world, Lord God, for us, so that we could come to you, Lord, and come into your presence, Lord, and, and talk to you, Lord, and have a relationship with you, God. Thank you so much, and Lord, we just pray that you bless this message and bless your word today as it enters the, the hearts of the hearers, and, Lord, I pray that it would just be the, a life-giving, Lord, that today it would, it would go in our hearts and stir us, Lord God, and it would, your word would cause us to move and act, Lord God, because we know that your word says faith without works is dead. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be all hearers first, but then after we're hearers, Lord, we would be doers. We love you and we praise you, God. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you guys want to open up your Bibles today, Matthew chapter 12 is where we'll be. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 22 through 30. So, Whoever's got a Bible, if you want to open it, I'm going to start reading Matthew 12, 22 through 30. And then we'll get started with our teaching. All right, let's read. The Bible says, Then one was brought to him, Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So the title of our message today is Jesus cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Jesus cast out demons by the Spirit of God of God. So what do we have? What does the Lord have to say to us today? So just know right away as we open up our scene because I always love to look at the Bible in scenes. you know what are we looking at? I like I always used to love it when I was a congregant when I was in the congregation of a, of a great pastor and I always used to love it and it stuck with me all these years. the pastor would give you like a, a description of the scene that they were in and that always helped me visualize I could see Jesus walking I could see Jesus, you know, doing that, and it's always stuck with me, and it's something that I've taken with me as I've started to teach. I always I like to try to give you guys a a, a, a visual image of what is being read, so that we can see it and not just hear it, because that helps me understand it better. So I hope that does it for you as well too. So where is Jesus, and where are his disciples? They are still by probably the Sea of Galilee, the same as were last week. They didn't really move much. They moved right into from the prophecy and and Jesus doing the all the miracles uh, for the multitudes and all the sick people that were brought to him last week that we read about, where we read that awesome prophecy and awesome hope that we can have in Jesus Christ because he fulfilled those prophecies. The Bible is an accurate book because, you know, it fulfilled those things, and it's done the things that God said it was going to do. And so he's still by the sea, and obviously he didn't get very far because we open up with verse 22, Then one was brought to him who was demon Possessed. All the multitudes are still around him. And these people, maybe friends, maybe relatives, maybe just good Samaritans, see this demon-possessed man and they see know where Jesus is. And so they grab this demon-possessed man who's both blind and mute, and they grab him up and they take him to Jesus by the sea and they say, Here you go, you know, and they brought him to him for obviously they, they were hoping for a healing. As I said. Verse 22, then one was brought to him who was deemed possessed blind and mute. So whoever they were, I can tell you that who brought this man to Jesus had a lot of faith. They had a lot of faith. Uh, This man was in a terrible, terrible position. I mean, maybe we'd always don't think about this, but just think about this. Maybe we don't know what demon possessed looks like, which I think I do. Schizophrenia, those types of crazy illnesses that people are putting psych wards for. I think that's demon possession. We just don't acknowledge it anymore in the 21st century. You know, people want to ignore it. But you can all have an idea of what it means to be blind and mute. Okay, so this man was so bad off, he couldn't speak or see, all this man could do was hear. I very much doubt that they had developed sign language back in those days. This man was basically an invalid. If he did walk, if he did go around, he'd basically have to grab things or have somebody help him around because all he could do was hear. Couldn't see, couldn't speak. This dude was in a bad, bad spot. So as I said earlier, whoever brought this guy to Jesus, they had a lot of faith. I mean, their faith was a mountain, okay, because what Jesus did, what they brought this man to Jesus for, was beyond any healing that anybody was able to ever give anybody, ever. You guys can search the scriptures, okay, go from Genesis to Revelation, And you'll find that outside of the man of Jesus Christ, until he showed up, excuse me, outside until the man Jesus Christ, he showed up. No man of God ever, not one time ever, was it ever even recorded, ever made the blind see and the mute to speak. As we'll get to later, people had developed a way to, to cast out demons from a demon possessed person. But nevertheless, Nobody, up until Jesus hit the scene, was able to heal people's eyes and make them speak ever until Jesus showed up on the scene. So, what does Jesus do for this man? Verse 22, we'll finish reading verse 22. And, and he healed so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. How powerful! And Jesus did the things that nobody had ever been able to do. Wow. Coincidentally, the fact that Jesus healed people like this continues to fulfill the prophecy that Matthew brought to us from Isaiah 42 last week. How we looked at that prophecy from Isaiah 42 where, you know, Matthew kind of quoted those. He kind of took the first part of that prophecy, verses 1 through maybe 4 or 5, and he kind of consolidated them. And, you know, he did this and he just said he didn't, but he didn't give the whole thing. But I feel led this week to hit the rest of that prophecy, Isaiah 42, 6 through 9, to show us how exactly Jesus really fulfilled and he really was the Messiah. So if you want to go, if you want, to Isaiah 42, we're going to go to chapter 42 and hit verses 6 through 9, and we're going to look at more of that prophecy. So Isaiah 42, 6 and 9, the Bible records, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Now, remember, the context of Isaiah 42 was God speaking about his righteous servant, The one that I called, the one that I sanctified, the one that I set apart. This is God speaking about his still, his righteous servant. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. So Jesus, we know that he walked and held God's hand when he walked on the face of the planet. Isn't that awesome? Just like we can today. Praise God. He's, the Bible says here, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. Isn't that what we just sang about today and that what we just celebrated today? The body and the blood that was shed for us. We know that the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us on Calvary as Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind. We know that, that was uh, that blood was shed to pronounce a new covenant. The covenant of Jesus Christ's blood. Okay, not the old covenant with sheeps and bulls and rams and goats. It was the new covenant. And God says here, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. So he fulfills that one. As a light to the Gentiles. We looked at that last week. To open blind eyes. To bring out prisoners from the prison. Now I would say, if you guys wouldn't hear I would say that this deem possessed man that was both blind and mute, I would say he was a prisoner. And, of course, we know he was blind. And so what did Jesus do for him? He led him out of prison and made him to see. It continues on, those who sit in darkness from the prison house, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will give to no other nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare to you before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Remember last week we talked about one of the purposes of prophecy, so that was that because since we don't know the future, God does. And since God knows the future, He can speak something, and if it's really God, then it'll come to pass. And we know here, That God told us here in Isaiah 42, 700 some odd years before Christ lived, before the Messiah lived. We know that the Messiah, one of the things he was going to do was get people out of prison. And we know that that wasn't real prison. We know that that was spiritual bondage prison, number one. And we already read there that he was going to help the blind to see. And what exactly did we see that he did here to this man that was brought to him that was deemed possessed, that he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus did this. He did this over and over and over and over again, often. People were brought to him with the same condition, and he healed them all. Never a problem. So all I can say is, wow, Jesus did here with this man exactly what the scripture in Isaiah 42 said the Messiah would do. Jesus, in our first verse of Matthew 12, 22, continues to show us that he is the Messiah, the Christ, and the chosen servant of God. But we're not the only ones that saw this. Let's read verse 23, Matthew 12, 23. And all the multitudes were amazed. So they saw it, because remember I said that the multitudes were around him. And all the multitudes were amazed. And they said, could this be the son of David? The multitudes were amazed but mentioned the title Son of David. In case you didn't know, this is a Messianic title. They called him here the Messianic title of the Son of David. The Son of David was a title reserved for the Messiah that was to come. He was to be called the Son of David. That was one of the names that the Jews had kind of brandished for the Messiah. And they said, could this be the Son of David? But don't be fooled. They really saw that this was the son of David because they gave him that title. But don't be fooled about the question in 23, could this be the son of David? You see what happened with them and what happens with even me today is they saw this supernatural miracle of God that he wrought. Okay? Christ wrought this supernatural miracle. And we both today have a physical mind. A physical man that we live with, that we eat food with, that we breathe air with, but we also have a spiritual person. Okay, see here we run into a, a very awesome thing that we're going to look at later. It actually, shows the Bible's true. But their physical minds recognize that this is the son of David. Or I'm sorry, excuse me. Their physical, their spiritual man realized that this was the son of David. They couldn't deny that. Nobody had ever done the things that Jesus did before. But their physical man was like, whoa, wow, what did we just see? So when you see a miracle, it's happened to me. It's absolutely happened to me. I've prayed uh, at times for miracles. And, you know, I'd pray for something specific to happen, and God will just make it happen at the time when it happens I'm praising God and my spiritual man I'm going oh praise you lord but at the same time I'm praising God and my spiritual man my physical brain is going what tilt, what just happened i what uh uh hello uh I, that's not real oh that, and it's trying to explain it away it's trying to say oh that 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 wasn't that wasn't God he he didn't do that healing he uh, the, the, that was that was you know that that just happened you know that just happened but, my, but in my spirit I was like no there's no way I prayed for this thing to happen and it's like it happened and it's like wow and it, there's no way I can explain it and it's just, and so they were kind of caught in the same crux too but we see here in this picture of these guys here we see an actual proof of the Bible that God speaks about in uh 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, you see, because this by this happening, by them, them this happening to them and this happening to us, it can prove the Bible to us too. We always got to look through the Bible. What can we see in the Bible where you know God's given us proof that the Word of God is really real, it's really accurate. So, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, Paul writes about this, this same kind of matter. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Notice how the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, because they are foolishness to, him, foolishness to him. We are all a natural man. We are all have a physical body. But we're all both a natural man and a spiritual man. So here the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Okay? We see that there. Even Peter. We talk about Peter. Jesus asked one time to his disciples, Who who do men say that I am? And, you know, they said, well, some say this and some say that and some say Elijah the prophet. And da, 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 da. And Jesus, says, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. You're the one to come. And, and Jesus says, blessed be you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but only by my father. Notice how Peter was a physical man. And a spiritual man. And Jesus even said about the, the, the revelation of him being the Christ, that he, wasn't, he didn't know that he was the Christ by the physical brain that he had. He knew it by the spiritual brain, the spiritual aspect, that God had revealed it to him spiritually and supernaturally. So praise God. So these multitudes were amazed. And they were really realizing that you know, Jesus was the promised Messiah. Because remember what I said earlier, no one did the things that Jesus did. So, wow, what an awesome, exciting time this must have been for everybody there. The disciples saw this. I mean, wow, everybody was, wow, the, 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 the uh, multitudes were amazed. Verse 23, wow, this is an awesome time, right? Praise be to God. You would think so. I mean, it would have been for me. I hope it would have been for you sitting out there. If we would have seen this. Wow, I can't believe what we just saw. Did he really do that? Praise be to God. But ashamedly. It wasn't so for everybody that was there. Let's read verse 24. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. For the Pharisees, this was not an amazing, wow, awesome, praise the Lord moment. This was a chance for them to put down insult and speak evil of Jesus Christ because he did this miracle. What a shame. To claim that Jesus Christ only cast out demons by Beelzebub, or that be another name for what we'd better known today as Satan or the devil. That was just one of the names that people knew him by. To claim that Jesus Christ cast out this demon by Beelzebub or Satan was a slap in the face to Jesus Christ and the Father. Remember John uh, Gospel of John 5, 23, Jesus tells us, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So what a terrible response to Jesus Christ and this amazing supernatural miracle That he just did to this deems this man that was both blind and mute. But remember now, we still have all the multitudes around Jesus. Okay? And we have, you know, the noise level, you know, you're around, imagine you're in a room with thousands of people. So the noise level was kind of getting up there. So ironically, here we see a supernatural fact of Christ here. Jesus actually didn't hear them say this. Read verse 25 with me. But when Jesus knew their thoughts, he said to them. So see, Jesus never heard them say he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. He only perceived it in his heart. And he shows us yet again that he is God in the flesh, because only God in the flesh, or God Almighty, I should say, knows the heart of mankind. I just had to throw that in there because you know, remember that scene I painted earlier. The multitudes were there, they're by the seashore. You know, you got the sea noise, you got the multitude noise, you got Jesus, you got all the I'm sure people were excited and shouting, the son of David, and they were amazed, and so he didn't hear them say this, but he perceived it, showing us yet again that he is God. So verse 25, we're going to read Jesus' response. And he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Well, what did Jesus do here? I don't know if you remember, it was either last week or the week before, I think it was two weeks ago that we talked about how Jesus tried to get these guys saved. He really tried to show them salvation, even though they were blinded by their foolish, wise, and prudent hearts. And remember a couple weeks ago we asked, we talked about the question that Jesus asked him, you know, uh, is it lawful on the Sabbath to help your animal if it falls into a ditch, you know. And remember how we talked about how I asked the nine-year-old, you know, what what kind of answer he'd have in that. Do you, you know, do you think, nine-year-old, do you think that, you know, this, it would be lawful to, or, you know, breaking God's law if you helped your animal out of a ditch, and he answered no right away. And so Jesus answered, asked these questions that nine-year-olds, could answer it well he does it again here in verse 25 uh, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation in his answer to them and every city or house divided against itself will not stand Jesus couldn't have stated anything more true ever in fact Jesus stated a statement that was so long given before he came that probably everybody in the world even everybody in the world knows that to this day a kingdom divided against itself shall not stand it's a simple, solid, truth statement that he makes. The Bible says in Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Think about it. If two are walking together and they're not in agreement, what's going to happen? They ain't going to be together very long. Unless two walk together, uh, in, unless, can two walk together unless they agree? And the answer is no. You can't. Uh, going back in U.S. history, we read that both Two famous orators, uh, Benjamin Franklin and Abraham Lincoln, used the term, united we stand, divided we fall. It was a slogan through one of the wars. It it was all the propaganda flyers up, united we stand and divided we fall. You guys are probably thinking, oh yeah, I know, I know that statement. Oh man, wow. One of a a a very famous man in history, Julius Caesar. His motto, divided and rule. Or you could say today, what we know better today, divided, or divide and conquer. We know that if you divide a kingdom against itself, it won't last very long. Jesus states that back to them. And the statement actually is brought back a little further to a man named Aesop, who had it in one of his fables, and he lived from 500 to 600 B.C., roughly. And he became famous for a collection of writings called Aesop's Fables, and he used it. But we want to go back even farther. Let's go back even farther and see if we can see this idea even in history. Well, let's go back to Adam and Eve. What did Satan do to Adam and Eve in the very beginning? God gave them a command, and they were united with God. They knew what to do, was no questions asked. They weren't double-minded about it or anything. They knew exactly what to do until who came along but the devil or Beelzebub. Oh, God knows in the day that you eat of it that you shall surely not die. Go ahead. He knows that it's going to make you wise. What was the devil's goal? The devil's goal, even from the very beginning, was divide and conquer. He knew that if he could get Adam and Eve to not obey God, to stand against God, that he could conquer. And look, he won. Adam and Eve fell for the whole trick. They went and ate the fruit. And then their eyes were open, they saw that they were in sin, went and then there goes the whole fall of mankind. United we stand, divided we fall. So again, Jesus throws them a statement that even a nine-year-old, again, could understand. Even people throughout all history, since Adam and Eve, have understood, united we stand, divided we fall. That's just a true statement. Jesus pounds them with it, and he gets them with something that's elementary elementary he jesus just throws an elementary fact hey guys wake up if i was really doing this in the name of satan why would i do it satan's kingdom will not stand duh you know there's no way i could be doing it for satan so jesus rolls it into another true statement and another elementary statement read verse 26 with me if satan casts out satan he's divided against himself how then will his kingdom stand? If any king, if any president, if any uh, ruler, if any dad of the house, if any man that's you know, running a business, that's a president of a company, if he's divided against himself, how long will that company, how long will that country, how long will that household, how long will that stand? And it will not. If you're divided against yourself, you will not last. The scripture that I'm going to bring up next out of James 1.8 is not contextually accurate to exactly the reference that I'm making here for it, but the idea of divided against yourself is in there. James 1.5-8 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we find there the idea of if we ask God, let us ask for wisdom, let us let ask. okay? But let him ask in faith with no doubting. See there, the doubting is starting to be divided against yourself there. For he who doubts, and this is kind of a separate thought. This is the idea that we're reaching for here. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you are double-minded, you can't agree with yourself, uh, you know, you get it. You're divided against yourself. If you're divided against yourself, really what's going to happen is you really, it's going to be a disaster situation. You're going to be divided against yourself. It's going to, you're going, it's going to be damaging. Literally, when you're divided against yourself and you can't make up your mind, you told, it almost drives you crazy. I just don't know what to do. You're almost better off making a decision and making the wrong one and just facing the consequences than rather than being, oh, what do I do? I, oh, I just don't know what I should do. I'm so divided here, and it's so damaging. Uh, I've known people like this in the past where they, they can't make up their mind. And any king, any man that's divided against himself will not stand his kingdom. Will not stand, verse 26. How then will his kingdom stand? It won't. Anything, his home, his company, his life, it'll all be brought to ruin if he just simply can't make a, you know, a, a united statement, he'll, he'll be destroyed. I mean, really, he will be crazy. So moving on, Jesus' statement statements referencing united we stand, divided we fall should have helped these guys see that they were wrong in the judgment of him. But in verse 27, he asks another powerful question that really pr- proves his innocence and goes for their jugular. And if everybody don't know what the jugular is, it's a main vein that goes right through your neck. And when you're fighting somebody, if you go for their jugular, if you cut their jugular, they're pretty much a they're goner. So Jesus goes for their jugular here in verse 27. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So just another powerful Another hit here. You may, be, you may be saying, well, how? How is this a hit? How is this, how is this Jesus going for their jugular? But you did hear it right. I mean, I've read this over for years, and before I researched it this week, I thought, you know, I thought, oh, he's just you know, trying to prove a point there. But listen again, carefully. If I cast out demon by, demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? You may be saying, but Ed, Pastor Ed, I thought only Jesus could cast out demons. I thought only Jesus Christ was, you know, the first one to come along and do that. Well, I'm actually here to tell you no. Believe it or not, the Jews had developed a method, and methods of casting demons out of people, the ancient Jews had. The Christian scholar Orgian, 182 to 254 AD, credits Jews with a special talent for exercising demons. Okay, that one may be new, but this one's all really going to strike a bell in our core. Remember when... Uh, before he was King David, King David, before he was King David, and he used to sit before Saul and he used to play. Well, at a point, Saul went off the deep end and God said, I'm, I'm letting him go, and the, the evil spirits started coming upon Saul. So what did David do? David started playing music, and then what would happen? The demon would be driven away by the music that David was playing. Ancient Jewish historian Flavius Josephus even recounts incidents of possession and exorcism in his Antiquities of the Jews, 2, 45 through 48. You see, Jewish exorcisms are usually, believe it or not, they're liturgical. What does that mean? They were using psalms and pieces of scripture to cast out demons even before Jesus came along. They used protective passages from the psalms and other sacred texts. Anti-demonic psalms were even found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, though whether or not they were ever used, nobody knows because we don't have any recording, but those other references that I made, we can see though, the Jewish people had developed through God's word a way to exercise demons from people, believe it or not. So yes, even the ancient Jews were able to cast demons out of the people. So back to Jesus' question to them. Verse 27, why did he ask it? Let's look at the question again. If I cast demons out by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. What was he trying to show them? Well, as he asked that question, By whom do your sons (coughs) cast them out? The immediate response in their minds would have been, Well, absolutely not. They're our our kin. They're our relatives. They're our sons. They, They absolutely don't cast demons out by Satan. Get out of here! What are you crazy? Because nobody casts demons out except by the Spirit of God, especially since mainly only they were only casting demons out by using the ancient biblical scriptures. Satan wouldn't have used these ancient biblical scriptures to cast his own kin out of people because a house divided shall not stand. Okay, so Jesus' point. Since your own sons or fellow race of people can't cast out demons except or by Satan and only by the Spirit of God, then how would I be able to cast them out by Satan? So therefore, they will be your judges because only the Spirit of God can cast out demons. So therefore, if they weren't able to do it, and nobody can cast, nobody in the recorded history's shown, <clears throat> excuse me, that they can cast out demons by Satan. Why would I come along? How in the world would I be the one to cast them out by you know by Satan? So they, because they did it, just the idea that they did it, and you wouldn't argue with that, they're gonna be your judges because you're judging me. Read verse 28, moving on. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. But if I cast them out by God, Jesus is saying here, which by this time, mentally, they would have already had to figure out they were wrong in their judgment of them. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Really flat out, he told them that he brought the kingdom of God upon them by doing this miracle that he did. Because Jesus, in doing the miracles that he did, he was representing God's kingdom. All right, verse 29. Spent a lot of time on this one. I hope you guys get enlightened. Verse 29, let's read it. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? You may be asking yourself, what in the world does this whole idea here, 29, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he buys? How, how does this have anything to do with Jesus casting out demons and them accusing him you know, of not doing it by the Spirit of God? To understand this verse, let's go to Luke 11, 21 through 22. And Luke records what Jesus says here a little different. Luke writes in the same parallel passage, Luke writes... When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divided his spoils. Notice Luke says, when a stronger one than he comes upon him, then he will take him, he will overcome him, take his armor and and take his spoils. First of all, we need to remember that we always, when we teach the Bible, we always have to stay contextual. What is the context or idea of this whole section of Scripture? Because if we take this verse out of context, we can make it to mean anything we want. But if we take it in context, take it in exactly what Jesus is saying, then we actually can see what Jesus is trying to say here. What is the entire idea of this section of Scripture? Idea. Idea. Jesus casts out a demon, they accusing him of doing it by the power of Satan, and he rebuts them and proves them wrong, and he tells them basically, I only did it by the Spirit of God. So that's the entire idea of this whole section of Scripture where Jesus brings us up in verse 29. Now let's stay with the same idea in the parallel passage from Luke 11 to figure out what Jesus is saying to us here in 29. Remember Jesus just said in 28, Right before, this, right before he says this, he casts out demons by the Spirit of God. What's our first idea of this new section? We have, number one, we have the idea of a demon-possessed man that Jesus was casting a demon out of, okay? The Greek word, I'm going to botch this up, I bet you, but the Greek word for the demon-possessed man, the whole section is diam isaimiai. diam. So basically like demon... Is Maya, as Mia, defined as, this this whole section and that whole thing, defined as to be under the power of a demon. Well, what is possession? What is the root word of possession? It is to possess, which literally means to own. So if a demon-possessed man is possessed, if a man is possessed by a demon, he's possessed or he's under his ownership in the demon-possession. In other words, if someone is deemed possessed, they are owned by the one that possesses them. Back to the idea, Matthew 12, 29. Read it again with me. 29. Or how can one enter a strong man's house? Notice the house is owned by the strong man. Goes back to what we just said. The strong man owns the house. The demon is in possession of the man. So who's the strong man here that Jesus is speaking about with the context of Jesus casting out demons by the Spirit of God? The strong man is no other in this case a demon or Satan which has total control or ownership over the man that's possessed. So what about the house? You may be saying, well, what about he has to break, you know, he has to go into his house and and bind the strong man, and then he can, you know, take his goods and stuff. Go to a parallel teaching of Jesus in, in Matthew 12, 43 and 44, just a little bit from where we are now. I'm going to read in Matthew 12, 43, 44. Jesus says of a demon and a person, he, he gives the old parable, he says, or the old idea, the old teaching, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places. This is talking about when a demon is leaving a person. He goes through dry places. Okay, persons deemed possessed or they're... Afflicted by a demon, and the demon goes out. He goes to dry places, seeking rest, and he finds none. Verse 44. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. So notice, when someone is possessed by Satan or by demons, then that demon, Satan, makes that person his personal home, according to Jesus' teachings. So we have the strong man and his house being the devil or a demon, possessing a house of a person, which would be the temple. We know that our Bible tells us that that our bodies are like a temple. Okay, But our real man, our spirit man, our soul man is inside. But this is just like a tent. It's just like our temple, our outside. So that is what Satan owns. What does he have in captivity but a man's soul? So what is the strong man trying, what is the man trying to break in, who is the one that's trying to break in and release him? He's trying to release the person's soul from the possession. That would be the possession that the one that's trying to break in would, would try to be getting rid of. And, and, and it does mean that, but who is the one that came in to plunder the strong man's goods or to find plunder really means to rob of goods or valuables by force as in war. Well, Yes when the devil or the demons have somebody, whether they're demon possessed or they're just under their control, like most of the people in the world are under Satan's control. Really, literally Satan has, owns that person. That person is theirs. And really what God has to do by his spirit is come in, bind that demon that's holding that person, whether they're in them or around them, and then go inside and plunder that man's soul. That's why Jesus Christ came to the cross so that he could set men free from their sin. So who is that one that can bind the strong man and plunder his goods? And who is that one, a stronger than he in Luke 11:27, 27, who comes upon him and overtakes him? He takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divided his spoil. Remember our context. Who is that one that Jesus mentions in this passage here? The only one that can release a prisoner from his captivity. And remember our context, Jesus casting out demons by the Spirit of God. I believe Jesus is speaking about the only one that can release someone from their bondage is the ultimate, the awesome, the powerful Spirit of God Almighty is the only one stronger than the devil or the demon living in or possessing or oppressing that person. It's the spirit of God. And remember, we saw Jesus being that one that kind of did that. But we also know the Bible says about Jesus that he was the God man and that he operated in all the fullness of God Almighty. So he didn't only operate just as a man or just as God, you know, a spirit of God. He operated by also the spirit of the holy God. So this is why Jesus was able to do the things that he did. Because only the Spirit of God can go in and bind the devils or bind the devil's hold on someone and plunder his goods or the people that he's taken captive. And what does Jesus do again by not only giving this analogy, by giving this spiritual picture, he gives these guys a beautiful spiritual picture of how he was only working with God, not against God to cast out the demons by this man. He gave them also a beautiful spiritual picture some powerful spiritual imagery to show them that only the Spirit of God can cast demons out of people. Jesus was showing them, hey, I'm working with God. I'm not working against God, folks, because there's only one strong enough. Your sons did it by the Spirit of God. That's, of course, I'm doing it by the Spirit of God. And Jesus finishes up his whole idea to them in verse 30 with a powerful statement to those that are around him. Let's read it and close out today. Verse 30, 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he does not gather with me scatters abroad. What is he saying? Because I know I've used this on the streets, and this is true. You can actually take this verse and apply it to life, and somebody's life, and we're going to do that at the end in our close. But what is he saying to them here? Remember, he just told them that I do work for God and by His Spirit. And I don't work for the devil. I don't cast out demons by the devil. I only do it by the Spirit of God. So what's he telling them with this powerful statement to everybody that's around him? Since I serve God and work by His Spirit, really, if you're against me, you're against God. Because I'm only doing what I'm doing by the Spirit of God. So if you're against me and I'm on God's side, you're against God. And if I don't, and if, and if you don't gather with me, since I work for God, since I represent God here, you're really working against God. He was also challenging all those around him. Think about it. They're here in the Pharisees. They saw the miracle. And I'm sure the people that were there, of course, the devil likes to make, you know, the devil likes to make confusion. Oh, who's right? Oh, I don't know. Are they right? I mean, he well they I mean they Pharisees said he, he's doing it by you know by the devil but he, he says I'm doing it by the spirit of God so he's challenging the people that are there hey are you with me or are you with them are you for me and for God are you working for, with me for God or are you working with them are you working against me are you working against God so he was challenging all those that are around him hey guys Whose side are you going to be on? I'm really God's son. I'm really the Messiah. You called it out, son of David. I'm really the one. Who are you going to believe? you got to stand with me or you got to stand with these Pharisees? So in closing, although Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 12, 30, almost 2,000 years ago, they still hold true for every person that lives on the planet Earth to this very day. And so what is Jesus saying to us today? I work for God, so are you with me or against me? Do you work with me for God's kingdom or against me and against God's kingdom? And he's saying that to all of us to this very day, right now, 2013, about to be 2014. So answer yourself today. Who am I with? Am I with God and am I with Jesus? Or am I with Satan? Or am I against Jesus? So, therefore, against Jesus, therefore, against God. But before you answer this question, what does it mean to stand and be with Christ? What does it mean to work for God's kingdom? First and foremost, here's what you got to think of before you answer that question Okay? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Is he your master of your life and your ways? Do you live for Jesus or do you live for yourself? If he is the Lord and master of your ways and you say today, I live for him, then that means you are looking to the word of God. You're checking out the things that Jesus stands for and working on practicing those things in a daily lifestyle. So let's look at some of the things that Christ stands for so we can see if he is really our Lord and if we really live for him. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourself as to see whether you are really of the faith. So that means that we ought to even be able to this day examine ourselves to see if we are really of the faith. So let's look at some of the things that Christ says that he wants from us that he lives for that he stands for and we can really test ourselves and see if we really love him and we really live for him and as i read this list of things i want you to dig down deep and i want you to not only look at just you know a a mental type of thing or a word type of thing but i want you to look at these things that i say and listen to them and these concepts, if you stand with Christ, need to reach into every aspect of, the, of every area of your life, not just words. Is Christ Jesus the Lord of your TV that you watch, the music that you listen to, the browsing on the web that you do, the kind of words that come out of your mouth, how you treat others, how you drive your car, how you talk to others in your everyday life? I want you to listen here. These are Jesus's and God's ways. So do I watch TV? Do I listen to the radio? Do I search the web? Do I do these things? Christ and God stand for truth. They stand for righteousness. They stand for honesty. They stand and live for holiness. Morality. Love. Purity. Faith holy and clean speech. And they're law-abiding. Paul said, obey the law of the land. This is something that God stands for. He hates all evil, wickedness, deceitfulness, lying, hatred, immorality, and the using of foul language. God hates those things. So ask yourself today. Look deep inside and look at the outwardness of what you do in your life. How would you characterize the ways of your life, your actions, your things that you do, the words that come out of your mouth? Is the TV, the radio, the Internet, the games, the way you treat others, the way how you interact with others, are they all played through truth, righteousness, honesty, holiness, morality, Love, purity, faith, holy and clean speech. The Bible says that when we speak to one another, we should speak with spiritual psalms and spiritual hymns. Are you law-abiding? Or does your life in the things that you find yourself doing not embody those, those things that God loves? Do you find yourself... No, I can't say that the TV I watch really is truthful. And it's not really holy. Or, or the music that I listen to, you know what, it, it doesn't honor God. Or the way I treat others and the way I talk to others, the way I, you know, you know, act toward people in my everyday life. The things that you read in books, do they all stand for those characteristics, those things that God stands for? Holiness, righteousness, truth, morality, love, purity, faith, holy. Being law abiding, do they stand for those things, yes or no? Ask yourself today, please ask yourself today, because if they don't, where do you think you stand? With Jesus or against Him? Let's just look at what the Bible says on this subject in 1 John 2 3 through 6. The Bible says, Now by this we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, or you could say His ways. If we keep His ways. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. So if you don't live in holiness and purity and morality and love and kindness to others and toward the things that you do and the radio that you listen to and the TV that you watch, then you're in trouble with God. He goes on to say, but whoever keeps his word, keeps the things that God told him to do, keeps those being truthful and being honest and being loving, those who keep his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to walk and live just as Jesus walked. And we again know that Christ." lived and walked in love and purity and holiness and righteousness and cleanliness of speech, avoiding all malice and evil and and devil stuff. He got rid of it all. Christ spoke to people in love. He wasn't mean to people. He wasn't rude to people. He spoke to people in love, in purity and in faith. And He trusted. So today, now again, is Jesus Christ your Lord and do you live for him and walk in his ways of truth, righteousness, honesty, holiness, morality, love, purity, faith, holy and clean speech, and being law-abiding, trusting in him and him alone and what he did for you on the cross to pay for your sins. If you are, and you could say, yes, Pastor Ed, yes, I, I yearn for those things daily. I'm moving toward them. I'm living righteousness and love and truth and purity and holiness and love toward others. Yes, Pastor, and I'm doing that. Then you've judged yourself correctly and praise be to God. Keep going. Keep loving God. Keep showing him you love him. Keep surrendering to Christ daily in your life. Keep going. Keep going. Jesus said that only those that are saved are those that endure to the end. It's not a one-time thing. Oh, I did that 10 years ago. If you're not doing it today, you're not safe. Those that endure to the end shall be saved. And keep going, soldier. Keep going. But if you could say, listen to what I just said, and say, well, no, you know, the TV that I watch and the things that I do, no, they're, they're not, they don't stand for the things that Christ stood for then I'm here to tell you like, I don't know if you ever heard anybody tell you before, but you're in danger. Christ did not come to the cross and die for your sins so that you could willfully live in those things that God hates. He came that you would have life and to have it more abundant, but He hates sin and loves righteousness and holiness and truth and love. And that's what He wants those that follow Him to live in. And if you're not living in those ways where Jesus is your Lord and you're surrendering him every day, then you're in danger. And please, today, if you're hearing this and you've never heard this before, please repent. Turn to Christ today. Realize that you're wrong. Realize that you're not right with God because John called you a liar if you're not living the way Christ lived and professing to know Christ. John called you a liar. The Bible says that you're misguided and you're deceived. Don't be deceived anymore. Turn today and repent which means turn to God and I haven't a heart of, I don't want to live that way anymore. Turn to Christ and surrender to Him and let Him have the Lordship of your life and turn away from the things that God hates. Seek Him every day. Seek God every day and don't stop and show him that you love him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for your word, Lord God. We thank you so much that your word is truth. And Lord, the only way we can be set free is by your spirit, Lord. I pray for those out there that are listening that are in need of repentance. That they realize today, no, the things that I do, they're not godly. The ways in which I live are not really godly. Lord, I pray that you would grant them repentance. As your word says that you would grant them repentance, because repentance is a gift. I pray that you would grant them repentance today. To make those changes in their lives, Lord. To fall on their knees and realize that they're wrong. And cry out to you and ask you to save them. I pray that they would today turn to you with all their hearts and surrender to you being the Lord of their lives, which means they live for you. They'd make a decision to live for you and not just know of you in their minds, not just have a belief of you in their heads. God, please bring them to repentance. Bring them to their knees. Bring them to true salvation. Draw them, draw them, draw them, God. Jesus, you said, I will be lifted up and I will draw all men to myself. Lord, you're trying to do that right now with anybody that's listening. Draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those that are out there that are walking with you. And it's a hard walk. And it's not easy to deny self and and to live those ways of love and truth and righteousness. Lord, as I was just talking with my brother last night, Lord, it's always there. The evil is always there. And we can always succumb to it. And it's always knocking. But Lord, you've given us the power to overcome. And I pray that we will continue to do so. That we would continue to live for you and trust in you and serve you and walk with you daily. And as John the Baptist said, I must decrease while he increases. Lord, I pray that we would decrease and that you would increase in our lives. And praise you, dear God. I ask this in Jesus' name. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. And I thank you so much, God, for everything you do for us. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today as one life will soon be passed and only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer or for any reason at all, Please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.